0: back on another edition of the Southern Ontario Dirt Show. It's Jonathan Howe with you. Travis Cunningham with you on episode 36. And Travis, before we get into the the number, before I let you get in, I almost always let you start and then I'm stuck scrambling trying to figure out a number. 36 was a hard one. I couldn't really think of any. I went through the Maryville points, couldn't come up with one. So I'm going with uh, kind of a weird technicality, but the Bob and Randy Slack-owned Number 36 from uh, Shweekin's NASCAR Pinty Series race last year. That's that's my pick for episode number 36. And I hope we see that car uh, back.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure they haven't sold it yet. So who knows what's going to go on there? I'd love to see him take at least one more shot at it as well. See if they can uh, get her a little closer to the front. I know Bob was pulling his head a little bit over that thing. So I'm sure he kind of probably wants one more shot at it, too. So I wouldn't know we see it one more time. Maybe That's just me guessing, though. I haven't talked to him about it one Yeah iota but uh yeah 36 so yeah we had to go scrounging that was the only one i could think of two off the top of my head so the only one in and speedway points he looks like he only showed up one time carrying cross ontario alan rayome and uh, he must be from the brighton area or something but uh yeah he's 36 and then uh, me being a pavement kid like i talked about when i was on g-force adam uh said that but I'm, i grew up at the pavement tracks 36 has always been gary elliot first one that comes to mind he moved up to pei now but uh or Nova Scotia, one of the two. Anyway, I forget. And uh, But yeah, he was like a Flamborough guy and a hobby car guy. First guy I think of all the time when I think 36.
0: Nice. Good picks. Good picks. And we should say this is the Southern Ontario Dirt Show podcast presented by Oshikun Speedway as well as BRP glad to have a uh, bicknell racing products on board uh jumping on and giving us some sponsorship and uh presenting the show all season long all year long so uh, i appreciate both of those awesome uh, businesses and uh bob slack wanted to point out that if you're looking for a, a change of career you want to jump into the racing world the motorsports world that brp are looking for in several different departments and positions that you can go and work at more details on that later in the show but travis let's start uh
1: that is a fact i was gonna say, tc if you want to weld anyone out there you want to weld uh yeah come on down and see us we'll put you to work Uh, or like like bob said every department nice come on down it's actually a pretty sweet place to work
0: well, you know what? Between you and my older brother Marty, who's a uh, union-certified instructor for welding, if I ever need to like bail out of the media career and uh, get into welding, I-, I guess I know where I can go and get a job welding race cars.
1: Oh, you'd start tomorrow, yeah? <laughs> Not race I cars though. We'd start you on tomorrow. other stuff like body mounts and stuff. There's so much stuff. Oh man, BRP catalog's pretty big.
0: Nice. Uh, well, where do we start today? I, I kind of wanted to uh, I, I give you a shout out off the hop of the show with uh, a, a top 10 in our uh, BRP TV iRacing League. You end up with uh, a, a fantastic run uh, down. at Where were we? Williams Grove. Let me see if I mess this up again, because I said it on the broadcast. I'm pretty sure I called it Cedar Lake and we were at Williams Grove. Did I get that right? Yeah, I got Williams Grove. It. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, you brought it home. Were you big blocker? You were big block that night, right?
1: Yeah, I got lucky. I'd already run five of the small blocks. So a lot of people got stuck running a small block at Williams Grove, happened to burn one because they hadn't run enough. And uh, yeah, definitely wasn't the plan for them. So even though a bunch of guys are better than me, like Jamie Porter and stuff, they got by me a couple of times. But uh, yeah, the big block was such a major advantage. And eventually I got by them all, but Gavin Isley. And uh, a couple more laps, I would have had him back too. Eventually I got by them all. I was in ninth until that one caution. And then I suck at restarts and they could all get me back on yeah. the restarts. But... Yeah, the big block was such an advantage there on iRacing. So, P.S., if you see on iRacing a Williams Grove race, small block, big block, don't pick the small block.
0: <laughs> good, uh, good pro tip there. Got to give a shout out to uh, Dirk Hardin, Dean Reynolds wins the wins that one. Yep. Uh, we've had some pretty good stories in terms of winners to start since the uh, Christmas break. Matt DeRitter, uh, guy who's a key cog in the machine of BRPTV and keeping that whole iRacing league going, uh, gets a win uh, a little earlier in the year and Yes, yeah, two weeks ago comes back. Brandon Plank comes back, gets a win as well. So uh, it's been busy stuff. If you're not following along, check out the BRP TV YouTube channel as we've got, uh, I think think we've got, what, four or five races left, maybe?
1: Oh, it goes to like April 10th. but
0: April 10th? Oh, yeah. So no, we've got like at least eight. Quite a few. Yeah, Yeah. still eight. And you have used the second most amount of small blocks. So I expect to see you in a big block for most of the remaining weeks, including this upcoming uh, virtual Gary Cunningham Memorial we're going to have.
1: Yeah, that's going to be fun. Uh, It's on my birthday. And uh, yeah, be fast if you want to do one in the virtual world. I said, sure. So we're going to put 50 bucks to win. And uh, I love Brandon Plank, but I hope it's going to a Canadian so we don't have to convert it into American. And uh, (laughs) because it's just going to be 50 Canadian anyway. But uh, yeah, so hope Canadian wins it, hopefully. And uh, I'm going to be running a big block. Most guys are going to have to run that a small block. They're going to have to. So I'm going to try to snooker them and run a big block.
0: Nice. Well, come out. Uh, it's going to be coming out. This race is going to be on uh, Monday night. Uh, we're coming out this Friday. So then next, following Monday, be sure to tune in the uh, BRP TV live from Weed Sport, virtually live from Weed Sport uh, with the Gary Cunningham Memorial. 50 bucks on the line. I want to see Travis win his own money. That would be pretty entertaining stuff, I think. that'd be Win funny. Ben Stein's money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, something else we should get into that we haven't really had a chance to talk about lot about is kyle larson's comments about uh the chili bowl obviously made a pretty big statement Skip in the chili bowl and go in late model racing and uh, i i don't think this was a surprise to anybody after him and christopher bell last summer both kind of ex- or kind of let everybody know they had some uh some thoughts some displeasure with the entire event uh he told racing american i've got a quote in front of me Uh, I've spent my whole life going there or half my life going there, but now that I've started racing in these big events against big names, they just feel like a bigger deal to me than the chili bowl. Woo.
1: Yeah. And then I know he also, in that same interview later on, took a shot, like saying, uh, what a well-run show it is and stuff like quick for the late, it was true. Like the the Vado got done. And then even the Sunday night uh, finale at Vado was insane with a bunch of sliders and stuff. I forget who ended up winning that one. But uh, you could say, like, the feature for that was way better than the Chili Bowl. not wasn't even close. So that's what I love about racing. Like, I love that we can have this conversation that some, like, the late models had the guts this year to go up against the Chili Bowl. And if you wanted to, like I did, I was having both on my phone. So just watch both.
0: Yeah, you can watch both. You can pick one or the other. Uh, you know, I, I like this uh, quote back from the uh, Chili Bowl Chili Bowl co-founder and promoter Emmett Hahn says, uh, Bell started this crap two years ago, and it's just a shame because no one has called me. They have my number. I mean, I don't think that it should be up to Kyle Larson and Christopher Bell to be calling a promoter and advocating for the rest of their drivers. But at the same time, maybe that's exactly what it takes is maybe two of the biggest names and stars to, you know, not only continue to race on the dirt, but promote it and do so much for it with their platform being in big time stock car racing, uh, and, you know, and having national spotlight on their careers, you may as well use that platform and, and be a bit more constructive with it. But at the same time, like I, I think Larson and Bellos made their, they've said their piece at this point. It's, it's a prestigious race, but when you strip it all all away and you spend an entire week down there just for 10 K on when it's all said and done, that's a tough look and the product well, you mentioned it. The racing wasn't as good at the chili bowl this year. Like it was pretty much mostly a one lane racetrack, of, especially it, like it, there for was the a yeah, for the
1: CBs and ACE. It's kind of like that every yeah. year, like all week it's great racing this year, two nights took rubber, which is, or maybe even three could did get a little bit more one lane, even in the qualifying nights this year. So
0: yeah, yeah you're right. It, it's hard, right? Like just it, it's hard. It'd be one thing if it was truly like a two lane racetrack the whole time and anybody had any chance of getting things hooked up and going somewhere. But when you're fighting not just the racetrack, but other comp like competition, it's 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 tough. Right. So. Yeah. But Kyle Larson makes that move and goes late model racing. Uh, late model is kind of the the main storyline for now until we get going with the uh, STSS. And uh, there is some sprint car racing we should mention couple guys down yep. there in florida you might have seen tyler Palace is Local's down there racing uh we have uh liam, Martin. liam martin's down there glenn styers glenn styers is down there good point. in the
1: new gsr chassis
0: yeah what do you think uh
1: put together by brett strafford
0: are you excited to watch that uh, perform and see what it uh yeah
1: they don't have practice on dirt vision tonight which has got me a little upset like i don't know why they wouldn't have the camera going on practice i kind of wanted to watch i'm definitely tuned in tomorrow for the race but i wanted to watch tonight too so I'm watching Golden That's instead. You should be able to jump on your phone and find the times though, right? Oh, yeah. I'll definitely do that. Yeah, so. But uh, yeah, I'm actually jealous of that one. Like there's a lot of tracks in Florida that they have to go to that are kind of, I don't know, like Dust bowls and they don't look all that fun to me when I watch them on Flow and stuff. But uh, Volusia and East Bay, whew, those are two tracks I definitely would love to race that one day. Yeah,
0: I think I, those are good picks. I I I think you've got to, if you have a good year this year, I think you owe it to yourself and your guys. Trip to Florida oh, yeah,
1: maybe we're gonna have to make a lot of money for that. So,
0: hey, you never know. You're going Diesel's gonna have to states come down
1: right? quite a bit.
0: Yeah, that too. You right? could win too.
1: Yeah, it's tough sledding to do that, but is,
0: uh, what's the price of diesel down in Florida? Just fill up on the way down there. True, it is.
1: We do get boned in that situation.
0: I was gonna say, I think it gets cheaper the further you go down, right? Usually, I think yeah. that's the general rule about the states. Although I went to, I remember going to Michigan one time, and it was like way cheaper. But it always is way cheaper than here. Just hit all the red states on the way down. You're good. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, it's uh, it's early in the racing season. There's not a whole lot to talk about, which is why we brought on a guest who's going to have lots to say and lots of stories to tell. Eric Thomas is joining us on the Southern Ontario Dirt Show podcast after we hear from our partners. The Southern Ontario Dirt Show is brought to you by Oshwikin Speedway, Southern Ontario's home for Friday night excitement. For over 25 years, Oshwikin Speedway has promoted and played host to sprint car racing with a new season of family-friendly events to be unveiled in the near future. Catch our own Travis Cunningham as he races weekly in the 360 division each Friday night in pursuit of a season-long championship. The Friday night lineups are rounded out by crate sprints, Thunderstocks, and mini-stock divisions as well. In addition to weekly racing, and Speedway will also hold several marquee events for the Southern Ontario Sprints, the Action Sprint Tour in their West Series and National Series, as well as a visit from Canada's premier stock car series, the NASCAR Pinty Series, on August 14th and 15th for their only stop on dirt. Mark your calendars as the 3/8 mile dirt track located in Oshuiken, Ontario, welcomes drivers from across the country and beyond for the 19th running of the Canadian Sprint Car Nationals which is scheduled for September 16th. To keep up to date with the latest news from the track, be sure to find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For track information on policies, admissions, directions, and more, be sure to visit Oshweekenspeedway.ca. That's O-H-S-W-E-K-E-N speedway.ca. Oshweekenspeedway, your home for Friday night excitement. The Southern Ontario Dirt Show is brought to you by Bicknell Racing Products. The last 40 years plus have seen Bicknell Racing Products grow to be an industry leader for racers and enthusiasts alike. Their St. Catharines location is home to 20,000 square feet of manufacturing and retail space, with a second store in Niagara Falls, New York, and a dealer network that continues to grow day by day to serve southern Ontario, western New York, and beyond. Bicknell Racing Products distributes Hoosier tires for much of eastern Canada, New York, and even parts of Pennsylvania. BRP is everything you could need to keep your car performing at its peak, with genuine parts from the manufacturer. They even have a technical support line committed to helping you with the most up-to-date information and feedback from racers and crew chiefs. Have you ever thought about a career in the automotive or racing industry? Now is your chance to take the leap with Bicknell Racing Products. They are looking for CNC machine operators, welders, and more to join their team this season. Please send all resumes to Curving at bicknellracingproducts.com. That's D-A-N-A. C-U-R-V-I-N at com. For further information on Bicknell Racing Products and to find a dealer near you, visit BRP online at www.BicknellRacingProducts.com or on Facebook or at Twitter.com slash Bicknell Racing. All right, we are back on the Southern Ontario Dirt Show podcast presented by Oshwiken Speedway and BRP with the man, the myth, the legend, E.T. Eric Thomas the host of Raceline Radio and a man who has lent his vocal talents to many a past uh, awesome dirt race, Eric. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. Uh, more more emphasis on the myth
2: than anything else, I, uh, I assure you. Hi, Travis. Hi, Jonathan. Nice uh, nice to be on. And I've uh, I've I've seen a few episodes of this little extravaganza you got going here, and it's it's terrific. Anytime you can get any more coverage of our sport on uh, either on the radio or on uh, the internet or on a podcast, it's a uh, It's a good thing. So applause from here for starting this up. It's a pleasure to be on.
1: Yeah, there's so many things to get into with you, Eric. It's going to be insane. I'm glad you came on. And I saw someone on Twitter this week say something like, we need more people like media on podcasts and stuff like that. And then uh, so we had you this week when John had that idea. thought it was awesome. But uh, let's just uh, talk about your show real quick. uh, Who you've had on recently and uh, all
2: stuff like that. Well, yeah, this uh, this little adventure of ours in Raceline Radio and the Raceline Radio Network celebrated 30 years on the air last year. We celebrated our 30th anniversary. It started in 92. It was kind of a branch off from a series that we had started um, back prior to that called Raceline Motorsport Television on TSN, where John, the late John maskingbird and Bruce Mellenbacher and myself in Hill's video uh, decided that there were some Canadian racing events like dirt modified racing, like truck tractor pulls and midget racing and drag racing in Canadian stylings that wasn't getting any television and we decided to fix that so went on the air with Raceline Motorsport Television on TSN and I always had uh, an idea back when I was working in Toronto first at CFTR and then at the Mix 99.9 which is now Virgin Radio started radio here in in Niagara and 50 years later after starting I'm still doing it so there's there's something good about that I always wanted to do a radio show. Of course, I had heard, you know, not necessarily what MRN does in doing the play-by-play of any races, but I wanted to do a racing magazine radio show where you would cover various things. Like, there's all kinds of these shows around the USA, and I thought that we needed to do one in Canada, and we put a demo together when I was working at the Mix in Toronto, and Scott Goodyear was on it, and we sort of mocked up a show, and I knew kind of the way it wanted to to sound and how it was going to be produced. So I put a demo together. I went up the street to Alan Davis at then CJCL 1430 was a music of your life old music station. But they also carried the J's. They covered the Leafs and they covered the Argos. And also too because the Indy had been in Toronto since eighty six. Right, Jonathan, we we had we had thought that we're still going to ride the wave with that thing. Alan stuck it on the air and he said The thing you got to remember is, Eric, is is it's got to be highly produced. It can't sound local and colloquial. It's got to be international in in scope and it's got to be highly produced. And, you know, we put the music behind it, the pace behind it, the elements in it, the way we wanted it to sound. And I think we were kind of on the right track. Our very first guest was Ken Squire, who, of course, is a a legend in uh, in in covering racing on television was the first guy to get CBS to do the Daytona 500 lap by lap poll you know from the pole all the way to the end up to that point racing on TV was only little sections of it that year we entered a number of media contest uh, organizations East Motorsport Press Association National Motorsport Press Association we entered our little old raceline radio show in there and that year we won the radio category beating out that Year '92, that year's live call of the Indianapolis 500. Hooray! So I guess yeah. we were kind of, <laughs> I guess we were kind of on the right track. And and since then, it's been a myriad of guests. We do an average of 45 shows a year, uh, and we do best ofs over the winter, so we never leave the air. I I guess maybe your next question is who we've had on lately. We just went back on the air. We did our four best of shows. In terms of 30 years on the air, probably our most prestigious guest would have to be Mario Andretti and the entire Andretti family. There's a whole lot of people. I guess it's easier to say who haven't we interviewed than who we have. You know, a myriad of, of F1 people, right from Lewis Hamilton, you know, on down. Number one, number one guest, I guess, I have to say, has got to be John Force, the NHRA funny car drag racer. <laughs> you ask him one question, he's gone at full, at full bore for like 20 minutes without yep. stopping. You he know, he's one of my heroes growing uh, up. So, I mean, that, that's basically history of the show. And, uh, you know, just getting started now, we're, we're, we're getting ready for, well, we're, we're already on the air with season 31. We're getting ready for the Rolex 24. But one of the mandates, uh, Travis and Jonathan, has been that we want to make sure that we emphasize Canadians and Canadian talent and Canadian events. So we're always looking for the Canadian England things so we've been talking to, to uh, Steve Bordelotti, the guy who runs FAF Motorsports and their GTD Pro program. They're going for three uh, IMSA championships in a row this year. Uh, Stuart Friesen is coming on. Uh, This this coming weekend and, you know, tick tick the box of just about everybody can possibly think of. But we always make sure that we stay in touch with the local stuff as well with Merrittville. And of course, we're on the air on CKTV here. So we we cover what happens at Merrittville and Ransomville and the local dirt scene. So Pete Bicknell has been an annual guest many times and et cetera, et cetera. So there's a long winded answer of what I'm famous for to your little short question.
0: I loved it. No, we appreciate <laughs> that. That's awesome, Et. Uh, I want to take you right back to to kind of where it began with uh, your your passion for motorsports and and jumping behind the mic for it. Was it always something that you wanted to get into that you're like, I, if I'm going to be a broadcaster, I want to broadcast yeah. racing, or was it something that uh, an opportunity a, a kind of arose and you kind of jumped on it and never didn't see yourself going down this path? Yeah, yeah.
2: It, it goes back a long way. And it was sort of a tie between hockey and auto racing. But I was taken to Merrickville by my dad when I was living in Niagara Lake as a kid, uh, when I was seven years old, and I'm still going to the joint. Kinda gives you an idea how long it's been around. But that's when I first got the bug for racing. But I also was a big hockey fan. So once I got into broadcasting and, and graduated from the program at Niagara College, you know, I wanted to do racing, but I also wanted to do hockey. And when I got my first job, in Niagara Falls at CJRN. I was doing the OHL Niagara Falls Flyers and the Steve Ludzik, Steve Larmer, uh, Reg Quinn era. Uh, and then I went over to, you know, I, I was also, I wasn't doing any announcing right away at, at Merrittville and Ransomville, but Gordy Wilson was up there and he said to me, we're short of announcers. We need to bring new guys in. And you know what? There's a lot of similarity between race cars and hockey players, fast moving objects mm-hmm. with numbers on them. There's, a great, <laughs> there's a great, There's a great similarity to that. So I sort of, you know, grew them both more or less at the same time with well, a hockey thing. I went to Calgary from 80 to 84, did some hockey there, came back, did, I've done jockeying, I've done morning shows, news and sports, got an opportunity to do Toronto Maple Leafs television hockey on Global and um, on Channel 11 uh, in the, in the mid-80s with Harry Neal and Scotty Bowman at the same time announcing at Merrittville and announcing at Ransomville and keeping track with that. So I kind of grew the two sports in parallel. And then, uh, you know, went up to work in Toronto with CFTR, which is now 680 News, and the Mix 99.9, and then, of course, branching into uh, into into Raceline Radio. So uh, the hockey got kind of left behind, but that's okay. I think I'd rather be doing this. Everything happens for a reason, and, and I, I'd rather be, you know, where I'm the first sportscaster, as far as I know, uh, for what it's worth, of having make his full-time living broadcasting at racing, which is kind of neat. There's all kinds of guys who do it and do it part-time. I I, I feed my girls and keep the lights on and the heat on here <laughs> by the avails of Raceline Radio, which is kind of cool. So that's that's kind of where it started. But you never lose your love for the local stuff. It's the grassroots, isn't it? I mean, and and as, as my my good pal who I've worked with, you know, Dave Moody with MRN Radio and SiriusXM NASCAR Radio, he said, the reason we're so attracted and still attached to our roots is because it is the roots of the sport. It's where the sport started, and it's where there's still a lot of interest in watching dirt modifieds or watching sprint cars in the middle of fields someplace or on a, on a dirt track. And, he, and, and the analogy that, that Dave put forth is something I really latched onto and I use it a lot when you explain to me why we still have this attraction to what we do, especially when, when I'm doing, you know, what I'm doing as well is it's the roots of the sport and if the roots die, the whole damn tree dies. And you don't want to see that happen. So that's why there's still emphasis on the local stuff. And uh, and that's why we do what we do, and that's that's basically how it started. And uh, other than doing you know the regular weekly stuff at Maryville and Ransomville, cause man, I did that probably longer than you've been alive. <laughs> uh, I've uh, I've left. I've just come up and guest with you and bug you and, and and horn in on the air there every once in a while. and go over and do a little little gig at Ransomville. But you know we did the we did the rush hour on dirt stuff with Shane Andrews. You know, at Syracuse and, and with uh, Terry Rumsey and, and those guys working with Glenn Donnelly close. And those were those are great memories as well. And and working with the World of Outlaws and doing doing a season of the late models. You know, that's that's all been a part of the uh, of the history and lore of this. And I guess some of the reasons why with this resume, they, they jammed my sorry ass in the Canadian Motorsport Hall of Fame. <laughs> not that long ago. Hey, anybody can be fooled at any one given time. So <laughs> All right. So
1: you just brought up what what was going to be my next question. It was the rush hour on dirt because some of my favorite calls of yours are from the rush hour on dirt days. And I still watch all that stuff because there's quite a few of those on YouTube. And so you're still like, I watch it all the time, but uh, just tell me like the story, how that came about. How did you get your first rush hour on dirt gig?
2: Well, I, it was because I was, I was working at Ransomville and working at Merrill and of course the trails came in to those tracks and uh, working with with guys like Shane and uh, and and, uh, and Doug Logan before that and and uh, Gary Montgomery and that crew, you know they were into these tracks to televise them anyway, and they listened to what I was doing and they said, look we need we need a, a second guy because Logan is he, he does local sports in the Syracuse. I think it was the ABC affiliate, not sure. but anyway, he couldn't do all of them and they said, would you like to come in and work with Gary and and work with Rumsey and and that production crew? And then eventually work with Shane on those, on those, the the shows. But we did the rush hour show um, with Glenn Donnelly and uh, Mm -hmm. uh, had a lot of fun doing it. I was the import. I was the, the Canadian guy, you know, and uh, came up there and went to Syracuse. Of course, I had been going to Syracuse and watching that and being able to, to go to that place and, and get up there high and, have a heart attack trying to climb those damn stairs to the yep. broadcast booth is like 80 miles up, you know, so you need oxygen halfway up, you know, but it's, you know, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a climb, you know, and then doing the, the typical Syracuse super dirt week stuff where one year you're in shirt sleeves, and the next year you've got snow flying, and you're out mm-hmm. there trying to do an opening in shirt sleeves when the snow's hitting you in the face It's typical Syracuse weather. We had an awful lot of fun there and we were lucky too, because, you know, Bicknell was starting to emerge and and Joe Plazik was impactful there. And of course, we had already struck up friendships with guys like you know Brett Hearn and and uh, and, and and those guys. So uh, the Johnsons certainly working with Alan and Danny all those years at Ransomville, we got to know those guys very well. So to be able to do that stuff on television was uh, was 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 a, was a lot of fun. We did it the uh, you know the post production way that that they used to do it. I mean, we used to just tape the whole thing, cut it up, then go into a studio and call it off a monitor and do it that way and then intercut the, uh, the interviews down with, you know, Mark Kenyon and those guys. But yeah, that, that was definitely a career highlight, Trav. That that was, uh, that was something that I, I really enjoyed doing. And then that, of course that branched into doing a full season of the world of outlaws, late models uh, with Shane. And, and that was good. And, uh, and Shane's a very good friend and good buddy, and certainly one of the best in the business. And now I hear he's, uh, he's going to have to bow away and do some other things and that's okay. But you know, I've had, I've had the benefit and, and the, uh, the luck of working with some very, very, very good announcers over the, over the years. And the, and the Rush Hour stuff certainly was a, was a, was a highlight of it. It and was right. a
1: dream team is what it was, really. Yeah. Like you, Gary yeah. Montgomery, Paul Small, like all the guys you said, Andy Fusco, all Mark Canyon, like all, most of my favorite announcers were naming. You know exactly.
2: I mean? It was good. And they, were, and they were all really, really, really good guys. I always used to laugh. You tell stories, right? Gary Montgomery could never get his, his mouth or his head around the word Thorold. You know, Thorald saying yeah. <laughs> is it Thorold or Thorhold, it's, it's Thorhold, and he was such a good guy, and of course we, we lost him not that long ago, and he was yeah. one of the great, great guys, and uh, working with those people, it was fun to go down and be the Canadian import, you know and, and, uh, and that's one of the things that, that's really been good about doing the racing game, especially around here, is the fact that you know, to me and to you guys, there's no border there I mean, we have to have a passport now, but we go back and forth so often and do all the you know, racing or calling it, and, and being able to, to, uh, to go down there and do this stuff internationally was, was an awful lot of fun
0: so E.T., I want to know who, in your opinion, was the greatest driver that you had uh, the chance to call a race for? Not necessarily the best winner, but just in terms of talent, mm-hmm. number one overall, doesn't matter what kind of car, what kind of racetrack, race surface, who was the best driver you had the pleasure of calling? Wow.
1: What a well, wow. question. <laughs> no
2: kidding. That's, a- <laughs> that's, Almost that's rude. pretty hard to answer. I mean... I've done everything from the dirt oh. modified to sprint cars, and if it's dirt mods, you got to talk about the Johnson brothers. You know Alan in his day; he's still winning races. Trying out loud, back in the, in the introduction of the Troyer Mud Bus when he was number well, he wow, calling races with that guy. Then his brother comes in and he's even more flamboyant. You know, holy cow, tremendous guys there. Kinzer in sprint cars, Sammy Swindell in sprint cars; those guys are are phenomenal talents, and got to call some races, you know, uh, um, um, uh, wow. Indy car guys, you know, pick them if you want, you know, uh, the Andretti certainly Rick Mears, my favorite driver for various reasons. Paul Tracy, he's a Canadian when he was on, man, he was, he was sensational, you know, really. And, and all those guys, there's been some, tr- some tremendous racing over the years and, and not just, you know, the big stuff. I mean, you, the thrilling races that we've had with, you know, with uh, with Ron Smoker and, and some of the thrilling finishes that still live in folklore and the dirt tracks around here. There's there's so <laughs> many of them and 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 so such good talent. And And the local stuff to me is is always really almost miraculous because these are guys who just live down the street from you, you know. And they mm-hmm. put their pants on just the way you do. And then they get in there on the race car on the weekend and do super heroic things that are spine tingling. You know, some, you know, like a very simple, quiet guy like Pete McNeil gets out there and just wrings the thing's neck and thrills the pants off of people. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's the stuff that really lives. And, and there, that, you know, there's, there's a whole list of drivers, you know, when, when Mario and Michael were driving together in IndyCar, that was sensational stuff to call in Toronto and on the PA. Cause I did the PA in Toronto for the Indy from 86 until we started raceline. I think at the first two years I did, I still did the, the track PA. You know, there's been some good points and some low points, too. We've had, I saw the article recently about tragedies, you know, and the, and the Jeff Krasnov crash, we, we carried that when, when he and, and, and Gary Averin were killed in that, that day in 94, I think it was. You know, there's been, you know, I was on, we were doing IndyCar stuff on um, on the fan in Toronto, carrying all the races. That one year, they didn't have the Blue Jays, so they did all the IndyCar races. And and besides Raceline, I did a one-hour uh, post-race show. And that, that faithful day in California when Greg Moore got killed. I mean, Greg was a guest and Greg was a star, but Greg was also a friend. And I watched my friend get killed in front of my very eyes. Then I got to go on the air and do a one hour post-race show that expanded to two hours. And then for two days after that, every radio station in the country wanted somebody to come on and talk about Greg Moore. So that was one of those, the highlights and the lowlights, but it's their guys, you know, warts and all, and you got to be able to handle all of it. But that's just a, just a name drop a few. Those are some of the outstanding talent that, you know, there's great talent nowadays, but you know, you're never going to match a guy like Mario you know, for his overall talent and, and, you know, certainly guys like, um, you know, junior Hanley, the, 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 you know, and those guys are in the, the hall of fame. Some of the, the stuff that junior was able to pull off is just outstanding stuff. And I called an awful lot of the American Canadian tour races with Dave Moody, you know, the old top girly series, you know, with junior Hanley and, uh, and, uh, and, and those guys. And it was some outstanding stuff. The, you never forget that. It's a, it's a loaded question. It's a good question, but it's almost yep. impossible to nail down one guy Fair enough. Yeah.
1: Oh man. Oh, you got me with that Greg Moore stuff because he was my favorite IndyCar driver. And really, uh, yeah, what a, what yeah, a good. You almost made good. me forget my next question, <laughs> which is <laughs> okay. I had to literally think about it because you got me messed up with that. But uh, uh, sorry, trap. I didn't mean my, to do that. <laughs> that's okay. My favorite Eric Thomas phrase ever: "The engine has woofed its cookies." Woofed <laughs> <laughs> its cookies. Where did it come from, and when was the first time you used it?
2: I was, I had a funny feeling you might ask me about that. <laughs> it, we were talking, I was trying to think about some of the announcers that I worked with and one of the good guys, and you hear him every once in a while, if you still there on performance racing network, when, when the uh, Bruton Smith uh, tracks do NASCAR races, they have their own radio um, network, not MRN, it's performance racing network with Doug Rice and those guys. And um, Rob Albright for years was the voice of the American speed association and one of their drivers and i'm trying to remember who the heck it was i could say it was tim fedua but i don't think it was tim feed it was one of those guys in the Mm -hmm. bob seneca era you know that that era with mike eddie and those guys raced Mm -hmm. all the time at cayuga right and and rex robbins on that show was spectacular stuff and one of their drivers said and i i i I, i'm i'm embarrassed to say i don't remember exactly who it was but the driver in the post-race interview said you said it, it, the car was running really good. The car was running really good, and then coming around four on lap 50, it made a funny noise. The next thing you know, it's <laughs> wolfing <and> its cookies. <laughs> but what a great description of an engine puking all over the racetrack, you know? Yeah, that's one of the, that. I sort of borrowed that um, in, in sort of a, in honor of that. But that's when you get around and you've been at this business a while, you hear little things like that, and you you can borrow things and you can kind of use things i mean the big dogs are ready to eat i get criticized for that one but that's a ken squire that's my little tip to ken squire because that's when he was doing short track stuff nascar north and of course thunder road speedway with tom Curley and those act guys in in new england um in vermont uh that was one of his expressions so i kind of borrowed that one so every time i do that it's a little salute to some of the great announcers that i lived and i idolized over the years and that's where that silly little phrase comes from
1: I think a lot of announcers pull from each other as well, too. I don't think it's not. Yeah, for sure. It's it's only natural. It's only natural. And
2: you hear things and you can modify things. Um, And as you say, it's it's I do it as as a little bit of a nod to to different people uh, over the years. And, you know, I said, do you mind if I use that? It was Ken Squire when he he coined the phrase for the Daytona 500, which is coming up here quick. You know, he called it the great American race. Mm -hmm. And I said when I when, when Ken was on, he was our first guest. And I said, do you mind if I take that and I want to modify it a little and call it the great North American race because there's a great amount of Canadian interest in that race. He says, sure, no problem at all. So whenever I use that, that's my little salute to Ken, whose health right now isn't that great. So we'll uh, say a little prayer for Kenny that he feels better. So. Definitely. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's unfortunate. Yeah,
0: thank of Ken. He's a legend. I'm, there's been so many talented voices. Literally my favorite NASCAR I, guy. It's, yeah. such, Absolutely. it's such a standout. Oh, yeah. Every time I remember back in the day when Speed Channel had those those cut up uh, vintage races of like seventies era NASCAR. And it was Dale Earnhardt Jr. Reading facts over top of it. Right. Ken's voice. Just it's, it's in my mind. It's just like how you associate that era of stock car. You can't, you can't watch it and not hear Ken's voice. And that's, that's a, that's a real tribute to him.
2: Yeah. And a, and a pioneer as well. I said, he was the, you know, he was the first guy to convince CBS, to uh, run the Daytona 500 all laps, you know, complete from, from, from green to checkers. And of course the, the you know, the big fight with the Bobby and Donnie Allison and, 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 uh, and Kale Yarborough. And we just had doing a flashback last year, Cale Yarborough talking about, talking about that fight. So who won the fight? He said, he said, I did, but the, you know, and, and and the fact of the matter was there was a blizzard, um, that 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 Sunday, and there was nothing else on TV. A lot of people watched it the next day in the office. Did you see those NASCAR guys plugging <laughs> it out? It was fantastic. But then, you know, and then the other innovation was something that you see all the time, and you'd wonder what happened to it if you didn't. Yeah. was the in-car camera? That was a Ken Squire innovation, and he tells the story. I don't know how we are on time here, but he uh, yeah, the story. Going. Yeah, good. He said, "I went to a boat race." In Australia, and I was in the production truck, and they had a camera on board one of the boats, watching the guys cranking the, you know, the jib, and the, you know, this is this is competitive yacht racing, and they had a camera at the front showing you exactly what the sailors were seeing as this boat pounded through the water. He could not wait to get back and apply that and stick a camera in Kale Yarbrough's car and a couple of other cars. We're going to show you what the driver sees. And nobody had ever seen that before. Kale wins the race. Mm-hmm. And as he crosses the finish line, he waves up into the camera and says, thank you, <laughs> CBS. You don't think Ken Squire got a little bit moist when that happened? Yeah. Yep. Holy crap. But that's, kind of, that's the stuff that legends are made of. And how we watch stock car racing, how we watch car racing nowadays, a lot of it can be attributed to Ken Squire and his vision of bringing auto racing on television up to the same kind of the same way we watch NFL football, Major League Baseball, hockey, horse racing, any of that. And he, more or less, single handedly, is responsible for all of that. So that's why he's one of my heroes, too.
0: You know, ET, you, you talked about a little earlier on that we we're uh, the ability, the similarity, I guess, uh, uh, between hockey and, and calling race cars. Mm-hmm. And in my short time having. Now called, I think I'm working on my fifth season now at Merrittville Speedway, and it uh, looks like I'm going to be doing maybe some more tracks this year as well, good, which is uh, exciting stuff. Good, but good. I think the the way I explain it, and way I've had to explain it to people who uh, you know are either learning this job, learning play by play, is it especially with racing with and hockey, who are which are fast paced sports. It's it's delivering the who, what, where, when, why, and how as fast as you can as clear and effective as you can. How do you explain what play-by-play commentary is, especially of of racing?
2: Well, yeah, I guess I I have the benefit of having done hockey on both radio and television. And when you have the luxury of doing just radio play-by-play, where you describe every movement of the puck and you over-describe what's going on, because there's no pictures there. When you do television, you're supposed to do a whole lot less commentary. You don't see too much of that now because especially in the US, the radio guy also does the TV play by play, you know, so I guess you kind of have to have this idea where your mouth is a couple of seconds behind your eyes and make sure that you try and be descriptive without being overly, overly uh, verbose, you know, verbal, verbal diarrhea. The one thing that I think we we keep in mind when we're working at tracks the size of Merrittville and Ransomville is that, for a majority of the night, especially when the sportsmen and the mods are out there, you could have a PA that Led Zeppelin would use or whoever, whoever. You're still not gonna hear you. So you gotta be very <laughs> you gotta you have the sweets and the speakers are in the suites. So that's why you do the blow by blow, play by play kind of thing. I think I'm gonna go and and, and use a little bit of, of uh descriptive uh know-how from my friend Dave Moody, who said Yeah, you know what a race announcer's job is, and you you know all the cars, you rattle off all the sponsors, you can describe how someone is sneaking in underneath and turn four, and suddenly they're three wide coming out of four. All that stuff you just at practice it gets easier. But Dave said it this way, and I and I have always agreed with him. That's why he's a good buddy, and he's on the show a lot. Is the fact that you have to convince the fans watching these elephants in the circus ring are the best damn elephants you've ever seen in the world. However, the elephants that are coming out for the next attraction are even bigger and better than the ones that are on the track you're looking at right now. And as long as you keep that idea in mind, you kind of keep the show interesting. And something else that I've heard recently over the last summer in some different places, I'm not going to tell you who it was or where it was. I don't want to incriminate them, but I think some of these announcers get lost. I don't want to hear about what you're eating in the tower. I really don't care that your dog threw up on your carpet. I don't care about that stuff. Tell me what's going on and describe it and be succinct about it. And, and, and remember something else, too, is that not everybody's sitting in those grandstands. Yeah, you're going to have your regulars. You know, Out of 1,000 people, you're going to have your regular You know, 7,800 fans every week are going to come out no matter what. They've been doing that for generations. But just think that there's probably a few people in there that would want to know, well, how do you qualify for the feature? What do the heat races do? Don't be afraid to go back and do the do the rudiments about, you know, the white flag means one more lap to go. I know it sounds idiotic for somebody, so people like us who've been around it all our lives, but try and describe that. And some kids may hear that and go, you know, something I never knew that. I never knew that. You know, well, here's the difference between a sportsman and why is it different than a modified? And how come the modified does this, and how come they're quicker? You know, what what constitutes this just the rudiments don't be afraid to repeat the rudiments of what's out there it may seem damn bloody obvious to you but for some people out there who are maybe seeing this for the very first time if you entertain those guys you're going to get them in the tent and they're never going to leave and that's how you build your fan base just by doing something simple like that yeah all
1: right uh you mentioned earlier about the raceline radio or like the tv show that started and i still have a couple of those broadcasts on vhs i'll tell you which ones. (laughs) it was the one super late models at Cayuga where junior Hanley mm. barreled the flames out the back. And that's when Lloyd Ritchie went over the wall as well. And then there was a, a Peterborough I remember. one when Bruce Galland yeah. and Robbie Thompson, like ripped the sides off of each other's cars and junior won that one. I but uh, just tell me like, I remember that. Race- yeah. Just tell me like your favorite yeah. race line TV program you ever did. And uh, just talk a little bit more about that show. Cause I loved it.
2: Uh, you know what? I- all yeah, all those ACT shows we did. Like we did, we did eight years, six years, six to eight years of car before that. You know, long before it became the NASCAR Pinty Series or NASCAR Canada, as I call it, yeah, because that's what it is. Uh, ACT was some amazing stuff, and, and Junior was you know blowing everybody up, and, and they had you know Derek Lynch in there, and uh, and you know wow, a whole bunch of people tearing each other apart. I mean that late model stuff, and Tom Curley was one of those one of those dictator guys who you loved. He was a fiery. Fast-tempered Irishman who would not be afraid to yell and scream and pound stuff and go up and down. You know, he used to. He had that lovely New England pace car. Get the pace car out there, right? <laughs> from he's from New England. Come on, pace car. Come on, pace car. Don't worry if they crash into you. We'll get you another one. Don't worry about it. Ah, uh, don't drag that <laughs> goddamn car all over the track. You're gonna drag it all over the track. You know. <laughs> he, and he used to he used to complain about the ASA guys, a bunch of goddamn carpet bags from the Midwest. <laughs> And Tom, would, <laughs> when he was at Thunder Road, and he ran Thunder Road. And even ACT, he did it once in a while. Not so much with them. But with Thunder Road, and, and, and it was, was funny, when Tom died, uh, was it last year or the year before I had Moody on? We were just telling one story after another about Thomas. He was one of a kind. He would, if, if Guy, you know this, this stuff, every once in a while we see it. And I'm not going to tell you what division it is. But even with the radios, they pretend they don't hear. Okay, number five, we can't go around and around and around. wide, you got to slot in where we tell you. You kind of know what I'm talking about, right? Tom Tom would stop the cars, red flag it, in front of the grandstands. The PA got shut off. He ran downstairs and in front of the grandstands gave the entire field SHI. (laughs) You know what? Look, you're (laughs) stinking up my goddamn show. You're going to learn to do this right. We're going to put you on the trailer. We're going to park you for the rest of the afternoon. Right. <laughs> it, was that, it was that kind of fire and that kind of determination at the local yep. level that made it run right. And we're getting into this issue now where shows are running mm. way too long. You're going to tell me that the A-Main and the Chili Bowl is going to be run at one o'clock in the morning.
1: Yep,
2: <laughs> you know, it's a little long. And, and, <laughs> and you know what? The first guy to, to understand that was Glenn Donnelly. And when one race is finished, they're running off the racetrack. The next race is already pulling on you cannot keep people up there's other ways of entertaining them they're not going to put up with a 3 a 4 hour show they ain't going to do it anymore so th- what you can do is streamline it get guys to behave themselves line up when they're supposed to we're not going to go around and around and waste 20 minutes while you argue with the flagman of the scores that you don't belong where you are yep. that's junk people you're going to stink up the show and if someone gets ticked off and frustrated because the show is too long and the kids are falling asleep next to them on the on the boards they ain't yep. coming back Right, so you got to smarten up and run it quicker. And guys like, like Curly and the ACT, I mean, you're talking about, you know, ripping cars up. I told the boys to bring lots of plastic. <laughs> bring lots of plastic. because yeah. they're ripping cars up. And those guys would hammer on each other, and it was some of the best short track racing you've ever seen. Yeah,
1: I remember the race. one like where Junior won like a hundred grand awesome. just in the what was it like? What was that thing called? The,
2: the, the Yeah, yeah, The Triple yeah. crown, which he called the triple crown.
0: Junior, <laughs> the Junior, junior Hanley was,
2: benefit. Uh, an amazing. Guy. It was the Junior Hanley benefit, basically. Well, it, yeah. it, it kind of was. He walked away with the lion's share of that. But, you know, it was, it was funny. People ask me, why was Junior so good? I mean, he's a guy. He used to have his, his engines built by Ron Hutter. Only, the only difference was Junior would go into Ron Hutter's milling machine room and mill his own parts. And then he understood those cars. I watched him at Kyuga one time in warmups, trying to get ready for a big race. He changed springs on his car at least 12 times. And if somebody else in the pit had trouble, junior would go over and say, what's going on. He says, I can't get it to run. Right. He says, probably the box. I'll be right back. He would come by, pick up one of his spark boxes and bolt it into the guy's car. So his car could run. So he's uh, he's in the hall of fame too. And he's a legend. And to this day, and I've done a lot of emceeing for the Canadian Motorsport Hall of Fame. I, you know, I voice all the biogs and everything for it. Junior Hanley's acceptance speech, f bombs and all, is still the best acceptance <laughs> speech at any awards banquet I have ever seen. And uh, and Junior gets credit for that too. Oh, I'd love to see that. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's got it on video, but yeah. it's amazing because once <laughs> he got his first laugh, yeah, it was it was it was a stand-up comedian thinking he's got, and he was just hilarious, sprinkled with a few. Yeah. F-bombs here and there, but that was Junior, and that was short track racing at its finest. I'm glad you enjoyed those shows. The ACT stuff was amazing, amazing stuff, and we really had a lot of fun doing it.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. There's so much good stuff from the past. Something I wanted to ask you about, uh, Eric, because you have so much knowledge and you have so much experience with covering motorsport and and putting a Canadian emphasis on it, we've seen top-level drivers come through and get to the top ranks Uh, you know, we've seen Jacques Villeneuve win an F1 world title. Mm-hmm. We've seen the successes of a Paul Tracy, uh, of a of a Scott Goodyear, James Hinch- of uh, yep. James Hinchcliffe. Okay. Uh, you know, the trajectory of what Robert Wickens was going to accomplish if he was able to keep his IndyCar career going. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to stock car racing, especially the NASCAR ranks in North America, it seems like the Canadians have a harder time getting through, you know, obviously we have Stuart Friesen representing great right now in the truck series. Alex LeBay has done a fantastic job representing him in in Xfinity. Do you believe that we are on the horizon of somebody somewhere in this country breaking through to be one of the best known or top known stock car drivers the way we've had a Villeneuve, a Hinchcliffe, a Tracy?
2: Uh, There probably is. And, and the unfortunate part of it is is that there are still just not that long ago we talked about there's no border there. When it comes to the highest ranks or the touring ranks of NASCAR, a Canadian driver that wants to go down there and do it, and a have, few have you know uh, have gone down and have not necessarily uh, driven to success, but certainly have been crew chiefs and mechanics and engineers if you're going to try and crack the NASCAR ranks, you really can't do that from the tracks up here you've got to get yourself down to the south of the u.s in north carolina and you've got to get down there as a teenager and you got to start in a shop as a sweeper as as somebody just to get in there and start to, to build yourself that way because there are so many talented american drivers of the same age at countless more speedways than we have and they have the benefit of the climate where they can more or less do that just about year round you know we're landlocked by winter a whole lot of the year and don't have that access to to asphalt tracks and when cayuga speedway at five eights or just a bit bigger is the biggest asphalt track around here there are dirt tracks certainly but you know we tend to uh you know with stewart's modified background you know uh he was able to, to make that jump in into into the trucks and parlay his success in dirt modifieds especially when they added a dirt race with the trucks that's how he's gotten his hooks into that but if a a kid is going to you know want to get into stock car racing at the top ranks and and get into cup and get into xfinity you know he's going to have to detach himself from the geography up here and get himself down south and get in at the at the entry level to try and crack that and unfortunately for canadian drivers if you want to do that that's the way you're going to have to do it and and hope you can get behind the wheel but with with the the american-based teams You know, they have access to a lot more talent and can do some, you know, great talent scouting just around the corner without having to travel to Canada to see who's hot up here. You know, I mean, Junior had an opportunity, Henley, you know, go down and do that. But, you know, he'd rather stay up here and and that's okay. But it's it's one of those one of those barriers that still exists. And yeah, you know what? I mean, it'd be great if I lived long enough and I'm 70 now to see somebody up here, go down there and crack it and become a top flight runner you know, alongside, you know, the, the Joey Logano's and the Brad Keselowski's of this world. It would be great to see that, you know, but I just, I think that's a little further down the highway. Yep.
1: Money helps NASCAR these days.
2: Awesome. Unfortunately.
1: That
0: too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll get you out of here on this one, ET, because we kept you oh. quite a while and I really appreciate it. Hey,
2: fun. Uh, it's a lot of
0: fun. This is great. So again, you're somebody with a lot of experience. You've watched a lot of different races at a lot of different racetracks. If I was going to give you an unlimited plot of land somewhere in Ontario and an unlimited budget to build any kind of racing facility you want, is there one track or multiple tracks that you would borrow from to build something?
2: Well, most people know that I had a connection at one time with the guys that were trying to build Canadian Motor Speedway um, over in Fort Erie. Uh, That deal has uh, seemingly gone west or east or wherever it went. I'm no longer affiliated with it. But they had the right idea. They just didn't have the right way of paying for it. And I said to that time, and it was supposed to be a one-mile bank track with a road course in it. And then they shrunk it down to a three-quarter mile track, basically a blueprint of what Richmond looks like. So that does a, a number of things. One, you can run the big stock cars on it. You can even run IndyCars on it because IndyCar has run at Richmond. But it's not so big that you got guys running NASCAR Pinties or smaller series that come up here that would, would be, you know, wheezing with asthma attacks pretty good on a one-mile track, but could get around a three-quarter-mile track like Richmond pretty easy. So it would serve a, a number of different series, not just the top-flight NASCAR stuff or not just the top-flight IndyCar stuff. But there's one, one, one component it would have. I would build it right where they were going to build it. Right by, uh, you know, right, right by you know right by right along the Queen Elizabeth highway just by Gilmore Road there and 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 run it. and cuz you're right along the side of the highway you can see it from the highway you can put signs up on the highway on on a major thoroughfare just a few miles away from the international you know the US border on the Peace Bridge but it would have to have one component in it and that would have to be a NHRA uh, grade compliant drag strip and it, you know nice. you a quarter mile for the bracket stuff but now the pros only go 1000 feet. But if anyone, and I say this to anybody, and it's like a broken record, but people who take me up on it say, Eric, you were right. If you've ever been to a nitro drag race where two 12,000 horsepower automobiles take off from a standing start, and can go upwards of 330 to 340 miles an hour over 1,000 feet is a sound that you just cannot duplicate anywhere else in the world. And it blows people's minds the first time they see it. I'm a huge advocate of that, huge drag racing fan, always have been. So if I was going to build that track and build it where Canadian Motor Speedway was going to build it right along the highway, 3 quarter mile oval to serve all masters, it would we, we work in concert with the dirt tracks, so we're not stepping in each other's feet. We'll do stuff they can't, they'll do stuff we can't, but it's got to have a drag strip bring a national event back to Canada. We haven't had one since the 80s, 80s, I guess, or yep. 90s in air in Quebec haven't had one since. And every time I interview NHRA dr- uh, drivers and I have we just had Brittany Force on before we broke for Christmas. You know, the one thing that we missed, I talked to Forrest because he ran San Air and even, you know, Shirley Muldowney, legends like that. When are we going to get a, a national event back in Canada? Man, I would love to see that. You know, we're at Cayuga, Toronto Motorsport Park all the time, you know, uh, and those places. But it would have to have a drag strip component so we can burn some eyes and burn some ear drums with some nitro drag racing because there ain't nothing like nitro. Now, NHRA is going to send me the check mm-hmm. next week. <laughs> My dad's in the Canadian sure so. Drag Racing Hall
1: of Fame and he won. Oh. San Air, yes, yeah. He know. won San Air in yeah. 1979 in modified eliminator. So you were definitely speaking my language right nah. there. Yeah.
2: You know what's good too, because I'm working again with my buddy Bruce Mellenbacher, who was a, a, a yep. founder with John maskenberg of ProMark Motorsport, who did the television, Raceline Motorsport television, and now Bruce is bringing back his Pro Modified Racing Association, and they're doing some stuff with the Northeast Outlaw Pro Mods. So that looks like it's getting yep. short up again. So. Uh, we're, we're big modified guys, sprint car guys, IndyCar, car, NASCAR guys, but I'm a, I'm a straight liner as well. And Travis, your dad being in the hall of fame. So it's, it, we're, we're lucky we're in this area, man. Cause we, we pretty much get it all within a very short distance yep. to drive. And we consider ourselves lucky. It's yeah, be it able to low do that. key,
1: one of the best motorsports areas in the world, in the North America. If you ask me, without it's a,
2: like low key. Without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt, but that's okay. That's what, that's why it's, that's why it's the longer surviving sport yep. in these parts, man. It's been here since two. You know, hockey's come and gone in various forms. Baseball, amateur baseball's come and gone various forms of soccer here. But that little old track there, you know, down species little old park has been there since fifty two. Seventy one seasons. What? Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? And it's only it's eight minutes from where I'm <laughs> pointing right now. So it's we're 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 fortunate, man. We should feel blessed
0: to, to, I really to do. I honestly man. do. Yeah. Absolutely. Man, that Good. was awesome. It yeah, that's been it's been such a blast having you et uh hopefully down the road let's uh, catch up again, again. hopefully we got some more uh, racing stuff to talk yeah oh, more stories let's, let's to tell for look sure forward
2: to it guys and listen it won't be too long before uh, oh. the snow's all gone and we're warming things up and pleasure to be on and keep it flying you guys you're doing a tremendous job uh very nice to be on and uh, yeah let's do it
0: again appreciate it awesome eric thomas on the southern ontario dirt show podcast and the Checkered is out on another episode of the Southern Ontario Dirt Show. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for future episodes. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Southern Ontario Dirt Show. Have a question for the show? Email us, Southern Ontario Dirt Show at gmail.com. Thanks for supporting local racing in Southern Ontario, and we'll see you at the track.